for the Indians. One run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. From the Gateway Lounge in Sioux Falls, it's Nobody's Listening Anyway. Here are your hosts, John Gaskins and Matt Zimmer. All right, here we are, Gateway Lounge. It's going to be a little more packed than it is as we sit here on Tuesday afternoon when it comes to this Sunday, NFL Week 1. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. NFL season starts Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think the Packers and the Chiefs, uh, Packers and Vikings and Chiefs and Cardinals are going to be playing at about the same time. So if you're going to come here and enjoy the best place in Sioux Falls to watch an NFL Sunday, you might want to get here kind of early on that day because it's going to be a madhouse. It's going to be a blast. They have some of the best bar food, restaurant food, drinks on tap you'll have. God, I can't wait. It's, it's you know, the weather's beautiful. I've enjoyed it. It's fun. But it's, you know, summer's over. It's, it's football time. By the way, is it uh, good to see you? Good to see you made it back from Iowa City. How's that uh, tire doing? It got fixed. Good. That's good. Made it back. We are not sitting in our normal uh, cheers seats, our normal our normal table here, so that feels kind of weird, but we're going to make it through. I think we'll be okay. I think we'll be okay. The equipment works, so that's nice. We've got a lot to talk about. Uh, we will talk Vikings-Packers. We will talk how uh, the Vikings could have a hot start to the Kevin O'Connell era based off of uh, one interesting point I heard from someone who – is close to the operation, and uh, of course, there's the Jackrabbits and the Hawkeyes. So, how you feeling? How you doing? You look um, a, you look a little tired. Yeah, it was a long weekend. Yeah, it uh, the whole thing was kind of a mess. <laughs> like it's been 45 minutes just talking about that, but we don't have time. So, yeah, um, weird weird game, obviously, out over in Iowa. Kinda. With, uh, I mean the uh, the environment, all the stuff, everything talked about, absolutely lived up to it. It was kind of amazing driving in the funny thing was yeah let's i said that a, first everyone knows what happened in the game and we yeah, have our own thoughts i, I had a parking pass to the, ra- the media ramp which is like right next to the stadium so to get there i had to drive down the street to the stadium with all the houses people outside tailgating partying it was really a sight to behold and i was expecting that and it still was like holy cow this is really really something i wish i wasn't working i want to get out of the ca- out of the car and party with these people yeah. right now it looked like a ton of fun um i ended up not being able to even get into that parking ramp and parking a mile and a half away downtown and walking to the stadium but even that you know provided me an opportunity a little bit to walk around on campus and and go through some of those everything that you were seeing out there and um and it was really cool and uh you know stadium was you know a pretty typical big 10 stadium but the you know being right next to the hospital and seeing the wave with the the children's hospital thing after the first quarter and you know sold out crowd season opener beautiful day it was everything you could ask for and you know the game was competitive it was close it was yeah. you know undecided until 5 minutes left but i don't think i'm hurting anyone's feelings or at least i shouldn't by saying that was one of the most boring football games i've ever watched it See, was really difficult to sit through it's interesting because i it, for me and you're you're the beat writer you're covering the team and maybe it's the press box effect i was sitting in my living room with my husband gilbert for a while and then in the third quarter i went on a little jog outside and listened to the game uh, with tyler merriam and al bahi on the call and so i i guess if you if you're either an extremely invested fan or if you're an invested media 
who's not who doesn't have the kind of quote unquote thirty thousand foot view that you get up in the press box, kind of uh, 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 a little bit separated uh, fr- from mm-hmm. thing, isolated from things. Um, it feels like you're because it's a close game, no matter how boring and low scoring it is, and how many punts there are. It kind of feels like there's still something hanging on every play. There was, there was definitely tension, um, uh, but, but it just became so apparent that yeah. the Jacks' offense was not going to be able to do anything. Right, and and Iowa's offense couldn't really either. And um, you know, not every game has to be high scoring to be entertaining. Right. Um, I've, I've seen lots of defensive games, 16, 13 games that were thrilling. Yes. This was not that. This is, I well, mean, this is a punt fest. Literally the best player on the field was Iowa's punter, and that was the mo- every time he came on the field, like, hey, we're going to see something cool here. Right. Here's the best player in the building right now yeah. kicking the ball and getting it out of bounds at the five-yard line every time. I mean, it was, you know, I, 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 was, I was pleased with my lead for my story where I said – Iowa won seven to three, and nobody went home happy. Yeah, and I just don't think there's a better way to sum that up. Obviously, Iowa fans come away from that going, "Jesus Christ, we thought our offense was going to be bad, but this is another <laughs> thing entirely." Yeah, and SDSU fans certainly they're you know if you'd have told them beforehand you're only going to lose to Iowa by four, they probably right been in like, it. "You're going to have hey, the ball." Hey, that means yeah, but to find out that's how yeah. you know that it wasn't twenty seven twenty four or even you know nineteen seventeen or something to have yeah. it be seven to three and have those seven points <laughs> wasn't even a touchdown. I mean, that two safeties was what did them in. Two safeties that were the direct result of how awesome Iowa's punter was. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't think I'm any less sold on SDSU's offense. Maybe a little. I mean, Mark Gronowski didn't look great. Um, the, the running game was held in check, but when you're starting in your own three-yard line against a defense that good, over and over all again. game long, yeah. you don't have a chance. Right. And you, yeah, you would have needed a turnover. You would have needed them to turn they over. They got one, and that was the only time they got any points. Exactly, you know? yeah. And it was a 44-yard field goal yeah. on the uh, kicker's yeah. first attempt of yeah. his career. I mean, you were pretty much lucky to get those. Yeah. Um, a couple things, like uh, you were there and you heard the boos throughout the game, Iowa fans, and it was tough to, you know, it's always tough to figure out, are those for Petrus or are those for the offensive play calling? Uh, maybe for both. And, you know, as we said before the game, I wasn't being some great Nostradamus by saying I was going to be really boring. They're going to mm-hmm. be really vanilla. They're uh, they're going to they're going to wait to make you blink. And mm-hmm. they, they did not deviate from that script one second, especially when they realized they have some of their best playmakers on offense. I think their top two or three receivers were out. Their top mm-hmm. running back was out. Mm-hmm. Petrus isn't that good of a quarterback anyway. anyway yeah. And uh, they're just like, screw it. These guys aren't moving the ball on us. We're just going to keep running and punting. And it was finally on that um, one of their last drives with about two minutes left where if the Jacks get the stop, they'd have two minutes to play with and um, potentially as good a field position as they'd had all day, which would be like their own 20 or 30. And then at third and eight, they get the first down. It's like, finally, mm-hmm. Iowa, that's that's a team. They made a couple of plays. Husker yeah. fans know this because they've been beaten by Iowa seven straight times, the Badgers eight straight times. It's the same operation, and the Gophers are pretty much that operation now too. Different offensive sets, but – Pretty much, we're just going to beat you into submission with this all day. And it might not work. We might have to punt a lot. But it's fi- the dam's going to finally burst. And sometimes it bursts in the second or third quarter. Sometimes not until third and eight with two minutes left. But if the Jacks get that one stop, mm-hmm. maybe they have a better chance. Well, but they think, still didn't have a chance I with that I think the offense. bigger what if was the the one play where Gronowski had time, Jaden Yonke got loose deep. That was a touchdown if, if of Mark hits him. And, and that's a victory. And, you know. You can't expect Mark to make every single throw, but that's one that if he'd have made it, yeah. that's a touchdown. And then all of a sudden, you know, SDSU is ahead. You know, maybe the score of this game at some point is seven to six or seven to four or seven to three or ten to th- you know something. Iowa would have had to do something, yeah. but because they didn't give up the Iowa, I think you're right. They realize like 
wow, we could win this five to three. Like yeah. this is enough. We're good. Yeah. Well, and and they, Kirk Ferentz and that staff, and it's the same damn staff he's had almost his entire time. Every player in that program has they they're they're not a school that's going to get a ton of transfers and a ton of, uh, you know, nil guys. I'm guessing. And they just, um, they, they, they've seen this movie before. They, mm-hmm. can, they they will do this no matter if it's South Dakota State or Nebraska or effing Michigan. If it's a low-scoring game, and, and, and they'll just do that all mm-hmm. day long. I also would like to think that they're not they're not going to show their offensive teeth or their playbook or anything yeah. exotic against South Dakota State. I don't know. Either. I think they, I think, and I should admit, I was way wrong about this game. A lot of people were telling me it's going to be really low-scoring, and that didn't surprise me necessarily, yeah. but I was kind of like, I don't know. I don't think it's going to be that low scoring because it's the first game of the year. You know, you don't know what the other team's going to do necessarily. And I also thought SCC had some questions on defense. And with Iowa having all those questions on offense, Petrus Petrus coming back, you know, that they were going to really that they weren't going to do what you just said, try to keep things close to the vest. I thought they were going to say this is an opportunity for us to build some momentum for our offense. So we're not trying to figure things out week two, week three, or whatever. Like, let's go out there and try to get some positive vibes for our offense. Put up some big numbers, even if it's just against an FCS team. And now, part of that is credit to SDSU's defense. They didn't let them. But also, just like, they were that bad. They couldn't do it. Yeah. And uh, I I don't think that... uh, Yes, the, the, the play calling was conservative, and it got even more conservative once the game started playing out the way it was. Um, but I think they wanted to, to do some things on offense, and they just couldn't, whether they, it was and them realized or SDSU. Yeah. And I actually think, uh, I mean, uh, Kirk Ferentz's kid, the offensive coordinator, I think it's Brian Ferentz. Brian, I believe, yeah. You know, he he's not creative, and he's probably not that good, and he probably wouldn't have a Big Ten coordinator job if it weren't for his dad. But I think he, I think whoever it was, it was either Kirk or Brian, realized in that moment, like, we're just, let's just let's get out of here with a win. And yeah. that is smart. That seems really boring or simple, but a lot of a lot of coaches, like, I don't know, say Scott Frost, would have just started to be like, would panic. This yeah. isn't working. We're not getting first downs. Right, what are we right, going to do? Let's right. bring out a trick play. Right. And, um, you, know, the, uh, you know, another part of it is, you're right, Iowa, there's the Iowa fans at the game. There are a lot of boos, but also I, I listened to their – uh, their not their post game show, but their morning sports talk show. One of the hosts is a post game show host. And, you know, they were making the point of, of course they were pissed, and of course they think they under, they completely understand South Dakota State was only a seventeen point underdog. They under it was down to ten by kickoff by ten. Yeah, it dropped all the way to ten. And they're knowledgeable enough to realize that SDSU is one of the top five programs in FB, FCS, and they've seen North Dakota State and South Dakota State and other FCS teams win games like these. But uh, they also figured this is going to be the worst team we're going to play all year. On our schedule, I mean, they got Iowa State this week, and I don't know what their other non-con game. And that might not be true. SDSU might be better than some of the worst Big Ten schools. Maybe, um, but that's not an outrageous thing to say. No, yeah. it's not. Yeah. And they're like this. You know, of course, they're thrilled with their defense, but they expected their defense to be this good. They didn't know, or I'm sure most of them didn't know or didn't grasp an understanding of how explosive SDSU's offense has a chance to be, and they certainly don't have a different opinion after watching it, yeah. but they know Iowa's defense is world class. I mean, that's fucking were, world class. They were impressive. Yeah. Uh, you weren't wrong in predicting a 30-something, 20-something victory to me. Obviously, you were, but I, I was going along with it because I figured this is an explosive SDSU offense. Mm-hmm. Iowa's never played against it. Are they going to really be ready for it? And 
Um, also, SDSU's defense is the side of the ball that has the question marks, mm-hmm. so this was a chance for Iowa's offense to break out, and things might get a little loose. That was my line of thinking. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, I was wrong, yeah. and that's fine, but so, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I was thinking, and so, that did not happen. And obviously, the question for Iowa fans going forward is how much longer are you going to stay with Petrus? Um, are they going to have a good enough offense to have a special year because their defense makes them capable of having such? Uh, but for South Dakota State, okay, now Zach Borg put it this way, wrapping up his report from Iowa City on Saturday night, is uh, is that y- y- we we see the Jacks' defense, and we understand that was a shitty offense they you know that they <laughs> yeah, shut down. No. But we see that they have a lot of defensive potential and mm-hmm. some defensive studs like Adam Bach, who had kind of a fairy tale day without the win. But uh, the offense, if it's if it plays more like it's capable of against FCS competition then, you know, I don't want to say the sky's the limit, but it certainly looks like yet another Final Four capable team. I mean, I, I don't think there's well, anything to change your mind about that. No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I would be really encouraged by the defense. Yes, Iowa's offense appeared to be a mess, but it's still a Big Ten offense. Those yeah. are still Big Ten athletes. You held it to without a touchdown. You held and it to three points. 160 yards. Yeah. And I mean, that's a, that's a putrid number of, of yards. <laughs> yes. 260, they would have been disappointed. Yeah. You know, um, that was – and to me, the biggest thing was the defensive line. Um, you know, they graduated some pretty good dudes from that D-line, Tolu and Xavier Ward and um, some other guys. And I kind of thought, okay, are they still going to be able to play – because the reason that D-line has been so good the last couple of years is because they've been so deep. They've been able to play so many guys. None of their defensive linemen have even got a sniff of the NFL the last couple of years. Yeah. But they're still producing at a high level because I think they recognize, okay – if we don't have a, a draft pick on this D-line, the next best thing is having eight to ten guys that are all really good. And if we keep rotating them and keep them fresh, that's going to make them really good. And that could not have worked better in both of the 2021 seasons. Well, you graduate three, four, five guys that are really good. Okay, do you, are you still going to be able to have that depth, still play that deep of a rotation? Christian Smith, the D-line coach, told me, yeah, absolutely. But what's he going to say? He's not going to tell me, like, yeah, no, we think the guys coming up are kind of shitty. Um, so that was a question mark. It's not that I didn't believe him. I just wanted him to prove it. They proved it. Yeah. You know, there were some other guy. That D-line was every bit as good um, oh. in this game as they have been before. Yeah. So that's a huge development for SDSU. They, it looks like after one game, they're going to be just as good up front as they were in the last couple of years. And that's a big, big development. Yeah. Obviously, linebacker wasn't a huge question. Adam Bach is as good as it gets. And some of the other guys that are stepping in there. They had some injuries even before the game. Uh, Chase Norblade, one of their starting safeties, couldn't play. So Isaiah Stalberg, one of their starting linebackers, they moved him back to safety. That worked out really well. They had a lot of problems in the secondary with keeping guys. There was injuries, and one guy got tossed for targeting. They just kept rolling guys in there, and they kept performing. So I think that's a huge, huge positive for SDSU's defense that they had to go really deep into their their roster to get through that game and nobody missed a beat that that's really encouraging for them yep and i uh i appreciated adam box uh this was the most diplomatic way this was the most diplomatic and team-oriented way a player can can illustrate how well he and his side of the ball played and deserved to win the game without throwing that other unit under the bus uh-huh. and i think you, you got the smile on your face when he said well yeah, we held them to three points, but their defense outplayed our defense. Well, they they outscored us. Safeties. They, yeah, they, they scored four us. points, they, and we scored none. And I'm like, oh, Adam. That's, well, it, I don't think that was false modesty. I think what he was trying to say was you get into a game like that and you recognize, hey, um, if anyone's going to score, it might have to be us. Yeah. You know, there are times when, you know, obviously a defense's job isn't to score. 
But there are games where you kind of see, like, our offense can't do anything. Yes. We have to score a touchdown. Or at the very least, you know, the, the one turnover they got, or I shouldn't say the one turnover, the other turnover they got besides the one that led to the field goal, Adam, the, Iowa was driving. They're inside the 20-yard line. Yes. Adam Bach just ripped the football Made right the out play. of the guy's hands and took yeah. it. That's him recognizing, like, we got to do this. Yep. We got to take the ball away from them. because, And that's that's not throwing the other side under the bus. It's just recognizing the situation. Of course. You know, and all it would have taken, you know, on the interception, Caleb Francel picked it off. It looked, you know, he got like a 20-yard return. I'm thinking as he's running that that ball back, like, if he scores, this could be the game. Yep. You know, if he can take this to the house, that might be enough to win yep. this game. Luckily for Iowa, they were able to tackle him at the 20-yard line. But Right. Well, you, you, well, you make a great point, but also there was no way that – you can't be mad about not outplaying Iowa's defense when Iowa's defense – got to start inside the 10-yard line and had a chance at a safety on almost every drive. Yes. I've never seen a game where one Ever. team starts that with that shit. That was the greatest position. punting performance I've ever seen it in was, my life. It was a great punting performance. It was also a piss-poor performance from the South Dakota State offense, but particularly the offensive line, because obviously part of this was part of even when they didn't start inside their own 10 or their own 5, they had the penalties that right, would drive them back. Right, all the false back. starts, and there and, were a lot of negative plays. And The offensive line didn't play well. Um, yeah. Having some conversations with the coaches after the game, not not the press conference, just off the record, it was clear the coaches were disappointed in the O line. Sure. Uh, well, and look, I listened to the pregame broadcast and I heard John Stiegelmeyer, who sounded very relaxed. Why wouldn't he be? Uh, he, I think, he did feel like his team had a good chance to play well and and win the game before the game started. And and one of the biggest concerns, obviously, with it feeling like we've got a team built to potentially beat Iowa, the Big Ten West champions uh was the noise obviously you go to a place like you're not you, you don't play anywhere else like this not even the fargo dome at seventy thousand. and he just he didn't say we're going to handle the noise well but he just said you know what if we ha- i think we'll be okay with the noise we practice with it if we handle the noise we'll be okay well obviously they didn't yeah i mean i, I you can't there and there were some i and i read some of the quotes in your article you can't blame the noise for every uh, pre-snap penalty, false starts, and I think there's one delay of game and one illegal substitution. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure it's, I, I, you know, probably give that about half. I mean, they couldn't they couldn't hear themselves, and they're not used to this. And it's the first game. I think some of it was nerves and just being, you know, yeah. the situation. When they get the, I mean, I felt so bad for Zach Lujan. It's his first game as the offensive coordinator. He wants to make a good first impression. He's going against the Iowa Hawkeyes, who have an incredible defense, even for their level. The first time they got the ball in Zach Lujan's first game as offensive coordinator, they start at their 10-yard line. They're like, okay, this sucks. Then you get false start, false start, back-to-back. Right. He hasn't even called a play. Well, he's called a play, but he hasn't got to run it yet. It's first (laughs) and 18 from the three-yard line. Welcome to offensive coordinating, Zach. Yeah. And that's what he ended up dealing with the entire game. And then the punter punter shanked Shanked it. Yeah. And yet they got a stop out of it. But I just mean, you know – there were a lot of, as is always the case, even yeah. when the Jacks are winning by 50, my Twitter mentions are full of people bitching about the play calling and the offensive coordinator. Yeah. But in this case, Zach Lujan deserves credit, if anything, yeah. for recognizing, like, you can't really take risks when you're at your own five-yard line against this defense. Yeah. Because if you tried something too risky, it turns into a pick six or just a turnover at, inside your own red zone. Like, it was pretty obvious that it's like, we just have to survive and punt on all these drives. You're not going to go 90 yards against this defense. Nope. You know, at best you're hoping 
let's get a couple first downs so at least when we punt, we can flip the field a little bit. Did and that on the first drive of the second a half. A little bit, but then that punter, all it takes is one 60-yarder, yep. or Iowa gets a couple first downs, and then he boots a, one out of bounds. I mean, it just I – don't, I don't think we have any idea – from watching that game. Maybe someone smarter than me was able to pick some things up, but I don't think we have any idea what Zach Lujan's game plan was. No. He never got a chance to run well, it. Well, and then he, he didn't have Tucker Craft to work with for that most too. of the game. So, there's the, so first of all, there's a couple things here, and it, there's, no, there's no right answer to this because it's, it's hypothetical. But, A, the 82-yard touchdown pass that would have been a touchdown to mm-hmm. Jackson Yankee. It looked like he had him beat. Jaden, but yeah. Jaden, sorry. Yeah. And, uh... So that's one. Like, how much does the game change? Obviously, obviously with the final score, if you just take a look, that's a Jackrabbit victory. From that point on, Iowa, with their offense, all of a sudden they realize they need to score, and do they do anything differently? Yeah. And if they try to do things differently and maybe open up the playbook just a bit, then it gets worse for them because they they're not yeah, capable. Yeah, they could have turned it not, over. They weren't capable of throwing a pick six or something, even making yeah. simple intermediate throws that day, certainly not deep ones and big plays. Okay, so there's that. So does do the Jacks, do the Jacks win – can we, you know, if, if just you make that one play, does the offense open up? Do, do they do, are they able to get one more touchdown or at least one or two more field goals out of the offense if that, if they complete that play because it opened up? The thing that really stood out to me, and this is all to the credit of Iowa and nothing against SDSU, there were times as as much as I didn't think SDSU's O line had a great game, there were plays where they opened up the hole. There were plays where they gave Mark some time. That hole opened, and those linebackers closed it. Mm-hmm. You, were, you could see Isaiah Davis, who was a great running back, like, hey, there's some daylight. Over. Four-yard gain, five-yard yeah. gain. Those are 12-yard, 15-yard gains against most defenses. Those yes. linebackers were so good that – now, a four-yard gain is a positive play for SDSU, but if that's the best play you get all game, you're not going anywhere. And that's what happened. Those holes opened, and those linebackers were there to stop that play at a four-yard gain. Then – you looked at Iowa's secondary, and I'm sure you could notice this just from watching TV, how many times Mark Gronowski put the throw right where it needed to be, and that defensive back, their closing speed, their hitting ability, they broke up passes by laying the wood to those receivers. And I'm not saying that the receivers dropped those balls. You'd like to catch those, but when you're getting a helmet in your back right as the ball's arriving every single time, it's hard to complete those passes. That secondary, that linebacking group was so good that it just – you just have to give them credit. They were just that good. They made those plays. Right. It, w- it wasn't just those where SDSU's got a third down and they're trying to throw, you know, a little five or ten yard pattern or an intermediate route uh, once in a while to get the third down. And it's like th- these are forward passes that get broken up. It was the like the little bubble screens where boom. I mean, the defenders right, right there, there every time. There yeah. were no yards after the catch. Uh, you're you're. The, the short passing game was not your run game and your friend that day because they were – I mean, they, they play good assignment football. They're clearly well coached. And, the, and their not coaches, having Tucker Craft was a huge factor. Well, yeah. I want to get – Oh, she's got some grub. All right. Patty milk, chicken fingers, looking good. Uh, sure. Why not? Uh, thank you. Um, Seth Benson, Jack Campbell, and whatever the kid's name was that got the one of the safeties for Iowa. I don't remember Those the third the linebackers, one. But, so th- that's where I was going next is <laughs> you have to factor in the Tucker Craft factor. I I can say if, I mean, if you put a gun to my head and you know say, what's your opinion? Would the Jacks have won if Tucker Craft were in there? Oh, man. I Maybe. Mean, I, I, I can't, Maybe. Yeah, I, I know. It's, it's hard to say, oh, yeah, absolutely. But when you not just 
Like, Iowa's got a good enough defense. We just went over this, how incredible they are. They're linebackers and they're defensive backs. And so all day long, those are the guys that are covering Tucker Kraft. It, it would it would still be really hard for him as the Jacks' best offensive threat to have a big game or get explosive plays because Iowa's defense is that good, and it's like an NFL defense that should be able to take away your best weapon. Having said that, your best weapon should open up your other weapons. Well, if you have to pay so much attention to Tucker Kraft, you can't pay as much attention. The numbers game suggests that the Yankee guys and uh, Landon, Landon, London Wolf, Landon Wolf, Landon. God, sorry, Landon Wolf, are just going to be open all day, and if and uh, I just think uh, give it's not like I think the Jacks would have scored 24 points. Could they have scored another seven if Tucker Craft were in the game all day? Yes, because of everything I just said. Plus, he's good for one or two big 30 or 40 yard plays where his six five frame is just going to be able to beat a one on one throw. I mean, having Tucker Craft wouldn't have changed the field position problem, and that was the biggest problem of the game. But yeah, I mean, those middle screens, the you know, little dump offs, whatever. They almost use him as a running back because that's what he was in high school. That's uh, they missed that, and I mean, he got hurt on literally the first time he touched the football, and uh, yeah, that's it's it's deflating too because you're like, oh great, now we got to beat these guys without our best offensive weapon. Now, having said that, the biggest the bigger story there is how long is Tucker Craft going to be out? Um, when it happened, it looked it did not look good. I mean, I wasn't able to see. <laughs> the press box in Iowa was about a million miles in the air. I watched much of the game through my binoculars. Um, it looked just from far away, not being able to see it on TV, like Tucker might have blown out his knee. Yeah. I mean, it, it looked really bad. And for how long he was down, and right away you're just going, Jesus. You know, again, with all the season-ending injuries South Dakota State Athletics have had in the last few years, here's another one. And when he got up and couldn't put any weight on it coming off, you're like, yeah, this is the worst-case scenario. Then over on the sidelines, all of a sudden, they're taking his shoe off, and he's trying to walk on it, and it's like, oh, it's clearly a foot-ankle situation, not a knee. Not that that's good news necessarily, but what it could have been. turns out it sounds like it was a high ankle sprain. For anyone wanting an update, we still don't have one because since yesterday was a holiday, they were not able to take him in to get it looked at, so it still hasn't been uh, addressed by a doctor yet. But there was sounded like they're pretty sure it was a high ankle sprain. I don't know how serious of a high ankle sprain, but at the, at the exact moment that that was happening, I saw it come across my Twitter timeline that Sam Darnold of the Panthers is going to miss the next month with a high ankle sprain. So that's a potential timeline that we're looking at. Now SDSU plays Cal Davis this Saturday. That's a good football team. Jack smoked them in the playoffs last year, but still, they were a playoff, were a playoff team. team. Yeah, and uh, then after that, they've got – uh, Butler, a, a game they should obviously be able to win pretty easily. But then it's right to Missouri State. Their bye is in the in the last game of the regular season, so that's essentially a useless bye week this year. They're going to have to win some big games without Tucker Craft, I'm assuming. Again, I don't know. Maybe it'll turn out it was not such a bad deal and he's going to be ready to come back pretty soon, but I'll be stunned if he plays this Saturday and, and I'm expecting him to miss a couple weeks. And while that's certainly bad news, uh, it could have been a lot worse. Yeah. Well, on TV, it looks pretty bad, obviously. I mean, it's I – don't, I don't really recall watching the slow motion of the end of the play that hurt, but it, the night before, I had called a Washington-Jefferson high school game, and Taylor Ashley, one of the best quarterbacks in the state, 
Same thing. Nothing looked. Sometimes when you see it, an injury happen, <laughs> I mean, Joe Theismann, the most extreme case, you're like, wow, that's bad. That's really like in the moment, not, you know, not just the first time you see the replay. Uh, in, wow, okay. Full pitcher of Oktoberfest. Uh, we might have to get. Well, I understand that. That's enough, that's enough that Matt even might have to have a little Oktoberfest. But he just got his second Budweiser, so that's fine. It. Uh, it's, the, it's when he gets up and he obviously he can't walk on that right leg. And that was the same thing with Taylor and Ashley the night before. And kind of the same situation toward the end of the game. Uh, you could see Taylor walking but limping. Uh, but at least he could walk. And then I was, I just stroke of luck, caught him walking out of the Howard Wood Field facility with, uh, with an ice bag around his high, like his, Lower shin, high ankle. So I'm like, okay. He rolled it, and uh, his coach told me Saturday morning. I'm, they're not sure. I'm, same thing, MRI, we need to see. Uh, the Jackrabbit broadcast in Tucker Craft's case said, you know, looks like he might have just rolled something. So uh, I think your guess is a good one. I, by the time some people are listening to this podcast, we might know a lot more. We're, we're taping this on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, and... I can't argue with anything you just said. Uh, you got to think the defensive abilities of these upcoming three or four opponents are nowhere near Iowa's, and you still should be able to score 21, 28, 35 points. And with the, the Jacks defense that we saw, still win every game without without one guy. He's the guy that would have made a huge difference against Iowa. I don't know if you, I don't know if you need him. You shouldn't need him. Well, against Davis and Butler, maybe. They're, then after that, it's Missouri State on the road, number five team in the country. I mean, how good really is Missouri State? We've talked about how there's a pretty big gap between probably the top two, NDSU, SDSU, and maybe a couple other teams. But Missouri State's a tough team, and that's on the road. Not having him, they're, they're going to miss him. All right. Any, any other notes in the notebook to, to file out from takeaways from the game that uh, – that were both, that were a little underneath the radar of all the all the um, big topics that Jack- I think uh, you mentioned it earlier. Hunter Dustman making that field goal, I didn't expect him to make it. You know, it's a tough situation to put him in there. It, it's his second career attempt, and he his first one is, yeah. His confidence couldn't have been super high at that point, and he drilled it. That's big for them because that's a question mark on this team. Um, and Mark Gronowski, I think you know he didn't look as explosive. I don't know if explosive is the word, but just he looked a little slow. Does that mean? And you know, some people are saying, "Oh, he's not 100 percent yet." It's been 16 months or whatever it is. Like he's he doesn't need more time. If he's not at 100 percent, then he's just never going to be the same guy he was before. And I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just saying, you know, he, he didn't look like he really was the same running threat that he had been. He missed some throws, but again, <laughs> didn't have a lot of time in the mouth of his own end zone every time. He made a couple really good throws too. Um, I was. I thought even though the passing numbers were ugly, I thought from just watching him, I was relatively encouraged with how he looks as a passer. Um, but again, you know, I, I think I've suggested it to a lot of people, the idea that Mark's going to step right in there and be exactly as successful as he was as a true freshman or as, even as good as Chris Oladokun was last year, that's a lot to assume. I, I think there's still some question about what kind of player he's going to be this year. Well, plus there's... Let's face it, the his breakout year in the spring of 2021, look, it was a – how many games did they play? They ended up playing 11, 12 games. 
ten counting the playoffs. I think they were five and one in the regular season. That's right. So I mean, you didn't, my point is there. The, the 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 wise ones, the wise guys of football say, if you've got a new player or a new system uh, with a new you know offense, a new defense, a new coordinator, a new head coach, there's the unpredictability factor. And it's just like pitchers and hitters in baseball that you know get, get called up and oh my god oh wow he struck out he struck out eight guys in in the first six innings of his first major league yeah no one's ever seen him pitch before mm-hmm. and no one's and uh, so Gronowski for again you, this could be total BS but he had you know th- those four or five games in football three at least three is a good role to go uh, we don't know what to do about it. we haven't seen this guy and he's you know how do you adjust and then. Then smart minds start seeing tendencies, and if you've got a good enough team to stop him, and obviously he was almost unstoppable for 11 or 12 games, but I think you get my point. He might be a step slower, and perhaps people in Iowa, no team on South Dakota State's schedule is going to have the defensive ability, either the uh, the coaching, the the assignments, and the, the size and the talent. But they did give somewhat of a good look at how you how you make uh, Mark Gronowski uncomfortable? I mean, nothing, nothing's going to make you better than going against a defense like that. Yeah. I mean, everyone they play after that is going to see. I don't want to say easy, obviously, but not going to provide the same sort of physical challenges that Iowa did. Yes, but Iowa can at least provide some sort of map to. <laughs> it helps to just pin them inside the ten every time. That'll make a, you know that'll make a guy clam up. If you, if you start some drives and you know beyond the twenty, playbook opens up and everybody's minds and abilities open up. So, anything else about UC Davis of note early in the week here? We had to know, we had to expect. I think they have a lot of the same guys back from last year. And uh, in that game, in that playoff game, I think the final was like 52-21 to 21 or something like that. Uh, Davis absolutely could not stop the run. I think the Jacks ran for like 400 yards or something. It was that bad. And they threw five or six interceptions. So... I think it's fair to say that a big point of emphasis for Davis this week will be being a lot sharper in the passing game, not turning the ball over, throwing six picks, and being much, much better against the run, focused up on that. Now, just because it's not like they didn't know SDSU had a good running game coming into that game either, so right. it's not like it's as simple as saying, oh, we have to stop the run. Um, but I would imagine they're going to you know, be much, much more dialed in on making sure something similar doesn't happen to last time. That doesn't mean SDSU can't beat them in different ways, and I expect them to do that. Um, but if someone's thinking, oh, we beat those guys 52-20 to 20 last year in the playoffs, this is going to be easy. I wouldn't make that assumption, especially because SDSU's going to be beat up. You know, Tucker Craft wasn't the only guy to go down in that game. They had a lot of guys go down, and we don't know yet how many of them are going to be able to play. And regardless of how many that turns out to be, a lot of the guys who are playing are probably got got beat around in that game. So there are so many big hits, yeah. so many bone crushing. could play into it too. A lot of Although, bruises. You know, Davis is coming off a game against Cal, so they also are coming off a, an FBS challenge that I'm sure left them physically exhausted too. So I expect SDSU to win, but if they got beat, I wouldn't be shocked. Right. And if they did get beat, that would be bad news for their season going yeah. forward. Uh, they, they obviously wanted to get the run game going as well. It's hard to do that in the shadow of your own end zone. What you? I mean. What do you think of Isaiah? We've 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 mentioned the offensive line. What about Isaiah Davis? Does he look? Um, I, mean, I don't know. 12, I think twelve yards was his longest run. He uh, he missed some practices in the preseason, so it's possible that he's not a hundred percent. Having said that, there were a lot of plays, like I said, where like, oh yeah, the hole's open, and those guys just cut it off. Um, the defense was just really really good. I think this week will be a better indicator 
because there were some of those plays where it looked like the offensive line did its job, and the second level was just so fast for Iowa that they got there to turn what would have been a nine-yard gain against most defenses into a three-yard gain, yeah. turn a four, what could have been a, a 15, 20-yard run into a six-yard run, you know, something like that. So we'll see. I mean, I think the whole offense, to me, you know, if you're grading the different, you know, positions for the Jacks, you know, their defense gets an A, the special teams gets a B- minus or whatever, I would give the offense almost an incomplete. We, yeah. just, we just don't know. Yeah. We just don't fair. know. Very fair. Saturday will be a much better indicator, and considering the quality of opponent, a, a really solid indicator because Cal Davis might be a, a middle-of-the-pack, if not slightly better-than-average Valley team. I think they're ranked like 24th or 25th, yeah. something like that. So, so meanwhile... The the only way this doesn't the only way this podcast becomes less of a mostly Jackrabbits podcast, especially during the football season, is if the Coyotes can make a little noise, and they made none in Manhattan on Saturday. I mean, I, I hope Coyote fans are, if you've listened to this point, great. You're you enjoy listening to, to us talk about the Jackrabbits, uh, but what what can we say about what can we say about your team? I didn't I didn't watch much of the game. We were taping it and I I scrolled through it to get the highlights for my Dakota News Now sportscast. They didn't score. I mean, they just didn't score. They had uh, uh, they, they had a punt blocked early that led to an immediate score. Uh, and that was 14-0. And then they uh, they got a bit, they got a turnover on downs which was essentially a, a turnover on a bone-jarring hit from Miles Harden. On Adrian Martinez, and being a Nebraska fan, you rattle Adrian Martinez early, you get in his head a little bit, he's turnover prone as it is, and okay, that was a big play, jarred the ball loose, uh, K-State recovered, but they turned it, it was a fourth down, they turned it over on downs near midfield, and Carson Camp goes right back and throws an interception, and then about two plays later, uh, Deuce Vaughn goes for 40 yards, it goes from 14-0 with the Yotes at midfield, off a turnover with some momentum, to lights, good night, and that was it. Thirty-four, nothing. I don't know what else to say. Um, and I guess we'll get a much better indicator of who they are uh, in week. Get number, any easier in, in this week, week yeah. right? Well, Montana. Uh, yeah. So there's there's not much to say. Well, Kansas State's pretty good, I think. Yeah, they might sure. be better than Iowa. Well, you know, and they're definitely, their offense is definitely better than I, Iowa's. I think they're going to be better with Adrian Martinez. He's dynamic, and I don't expect him to turn it over as much as he did at Nebraska. He's in a he's in a less turnover prone offense and culture. He'll be really good. Yeah. So I sure. mean, maybe it's just me. I mean, I've been a little higher on USD this year than than other folks have, so maybe I'm just trying to rationalize that. But I'm not reading too much into that game. You know, getting shut out obviously is not a good look in your opener and doesn't do a lot for your confidence, I suppose. Um, but there were, you know. There were some positives on the defense. You know, for one of the, one of the scores was a special teams. You know, the, the block punt, that's not on the defense. They made some big stops. Michael Scott looks like a player. I mean, he's a transfer. I think he had two sacks and seven tackles or something. And, you know, you mentioned they made some plays. They made some stops. They did some good things. Um, gave up some big plays, obviously. And that's something that, you know, big plays count just as much as a, you know, a 13-play, 88-yard drive. But big plays can sometimes be something that are easier to – cut out later on in the year and also something you're more prone to against a team like that that has that much more talent and speed than you do um so I'm not reading too much into their defense not playing well um because again I don't think they played that badly and it was against a really good team the offense Alex Jensen didn't play he's their best offensive lineman so that didn't help Uh, and they did move the ball a little bit you know 
SDSU got three points against Iowa, but they had 120 yards. Yeah. I think the Coyotes had 240 or something. That's not a great number, but it's not like they got you know completely stuffed every single drive. They went for it, what, two or three times on fourth down and didn't get it? I mean, it could have been a different game if they'd got sure. a couple of those. Sure. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and try and, and spin a 34 nothing loss as a positive. Right. It's not. We're not going to drop the gavel. But, yeah, I'm not ready to say, oh, I guess I was wrong. They stink. I, you know, I don't know. We, well, as we've said all along, their biggest challenge, regardless of what happens against Kansas State, is this, this brutal schedule and trying to at least salvage a win or two out of these first few games. And then if you do have an unsightly record after a month, not let that ruin your season. Right. And that, that is still the case. That is still yeah. going to be their biggest issue. A uh, couple insights from Michael McCleary of the Argus Leader. Um, by the time we got to the third quarter, USD's offense had found a bit of rhythm. Running backs Travis Thiest and Shamari Lawrence had both found a bit of rhythm. I think it's Tice, room. by the way. Thank you. We're looking like a formidable duel against Kansas State's run defense, and on one particular drive, USD used a collection of quick passes for the first time to get a first down, but those combined seemed to create a mock-up of what a scoring drive Saturday would look like. There was, however, an issue. USD receivers kept dropping the ball. On one particular drive in the fourth quarter, redshirt freshman wide receiver Javion Phelps Started the drive with uh, one, and tight end J.J. Galbreath dropped a would-be first down catch on a critical third down for the Coyote offense for that drive, if not the game. South Dakota had seven drops in all on Saturday. Then Carson Camp overthrew a wide uh, receiver, Jack Martins, which would have been a touchdown. So same thing happened as it did at some point against or for SDSU. So there was never much of a chance for the offense to gain rhythm. So, in general, it sounds like they showed some shades, and you're going to account for, you know, no matter how all the noise preparations you do through a week, all the psychological pumping yourself up. Hey, we're you know we put our pads on the same way, yeah, and, yeah. you know, uh, it, you're going to be more nervous and more mistake prone when you go play in a place like that, especially when it's the first game of the year. And uh, it happened to SDSU mostly on its offensive line. It sounds like for USD, there were just a case of the whoopsies. Um, well, a lot of times drop passes are because you hear footsteps, and you hear a lot more footsteps in a game like that. It happened to the Jacks a couple times too. There you go. North Dakota State struggled early. I saw a few early tweets from that game. Ooh. And then they end up winning 56-10 to 10 and mm-hmm. 274 mm-hmm. yards. Nothing much to say. And UND, I mean, you can't really set the bar at how well you play Nebraska. That's how sad Nebraska is. But UND made a little noise in that spring 2021 season. Yeah. And I don't know what to say. They they were able to stay with Nebraska deep into the third quarter for whatever the hell that is worth. I honestly, and this is how sad things are at Nebraska right now, I think that result is a bigger positive for Nebraska than anything. Like, I don't think North Dakota is very good. That's a team Nebraska is supposed to beat handily. Well. For them to win by 21, good for you, Scott. Let's uh, baby step, baby steps. That's uh, you got your first dub of the year. Reading, uh, first of all, reading because when it was 17-17 or whatever, like I, I happened to because obviously I had a shit show of a trip home, but yeah. I, I saw some of the scores and I was just like, are you kidding me? As much as part of me was like, it would be so delicious if North Dakota beat Nebraska. I saw that score and I was just like, come the fuck on, are you serious? I wasn't the least bit surprised. I mean, I and I, I knew UND's not that good. Uh, best way of putting it 
one of the columnists from the Omaha World Herald said, I mean, you just saw Nebraska sweat it out against the fourth best team in the Dakotas. Yeah. I mean, that is what it has come to. Yeah. And we understand that two of those teams are really good. But the fourth best team in the Dakotas took them deep into the third quarter. And I've been to Memorial Stadium within the last uh, several years in, in some of these losses. Uh, I was Appalachian State, Appalachian State, McNeese State, which I don't even think was a top 10 or even a top 20 FCS team when Nebraska was really comparatively good with Amir Abdullah and Kenny Bell. Uh-huh. 2014, it took a it took an Amir Abdullah uh, like break out of a tackle, like a miracle 70 yard touchdown, and with 20 seconds left to uh, to untie and beat McNeese State. And this is kind of like Anthony Grant. He had a 46-yard run right after it was tied at 17. Up until that point, every I mean, everybody's bungholes there were collectively tight, and it was a it was grown city. It was not a place I would want to be. Lincoln is not a happy place, and that the fact that they were able to pull away and win by 21 didn't really did not satisfy anybody. And Scott Frost at halftime and then after the game, I mean, he really looked no different than the way he's looked the last two or three years. He looks tired and pissed and, if not clueless, just out of answers. Like, this is, I am in over my head, and this is miserable. And uh, a loss to UND probably would have spelled doom. Not until October 1st, because $7.5 million of the buyout uh, clears out by October 1st. When they play Indiana, I'll be there for that game. (laughs) Uh, But uh, under the lights. But, yeah, I mean, it just... uh, and, and just watching a little bit of his post-game press conference, he's just he's just beaten up. I don't know how I don't know how anybody who plays at that school, and everybody can laugh in six weeks if Nebraska's five, you know, six mm-hmm. and two mm-hmm. or whatever. At, at what I'm saying here, I don't know how anybody playing in that program. Obviously, there are plenty of transfers, and they've got some good NIL money and whatever they can play right away. How how does anybody believe in what they're doing there? There's nothing that's happened there. That can lead anybody playing there or even any of these new coaches on the coaching staff to go, you know, I see the light. Yeah. It's going to happen because nothing that's happened there in five or six years has been positive overall. I mean, maybe the play of the quarterback. I have no idea how he played against North Dakota. He looked okay against Northwestern. But he looked great a couple times. Yeah. But yeah. We'll see. Uh, all right. Let's spend the last 10 or 15 minutes on uh, the Vikings. And the Packers, and we'll we'll start with the Vikings. And you, your level of excitement as a Vikings fan, with uh, the Kevin O'Connell era getting underway, <sighs> excitement, anticipation, especially with the Packers Week One. I mean, I don't want to say like there's none because this is what I will do with my Sunday for the next four months or whatever. But like, I just haven't had time to to read anything about the Vikings, or I didn't watch any of the preseason games. I still have to remind myself, is it O'Connell or O'Connor? You know, like I, you know, I barely know anything about about my favorite football team. So I'm going to be watching this game on Sunday with, you know, unbiased, unknowing eyes, I guess. I, I don't know. I'm always excited. You know, even in years where I've known the Vikings are going to suck, you know, I've been like, well, all right, this is something to do for on Sunday afternoon for the rest of the year. And I don't think they're going to suck. Um, I've seen... The few things I've I, I've seen predictions anywhere between seven and ten and ten and seven, yeah, which is kind of par for the course. We've talked about it all the their time. Their entire existence. Their entire. You know, they're never shitty enough, and they're never good enough. The they're whole always, Mike Zimmer era and their yeah, entire existence. Yeah, yeah. So whatever, that's fine. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Is there reason to be excited? I, I I'm 
I, I guess mean, the, I'm, the cur- I'm curious to watch the offense now that you don't have a stick in the mud as the head coach. Say, the, the, and so much shit has come out about Mike Zimmer since he left yeah. that now you're thinking like, oh, maybe this was worse than I thought it was, yeah. and him being gone will be an even bigger benefit than I thought it would would be. Sure. So, so that gives you some optimism. Anytime there's a new coach, I mean, Kevin O'Connell might end up you know being the next rich co-tight, and we look back and go, oh, my God, he's one of the worst coaches ever. <laughs> but he might be you know the next Sean McVay or something, too. We just don't know. Right. Um, and anytime there's a new coach, there's some excitement. And to the Vikings' credit, they haven't had too many coaching hires that were just like, oh, my God, that was a terrible mistake. Chili had some years. Yeah. You know, Leslie Frazier was, you know, he didn't last very long, but he was not a disaster either. It was just kind of apparent, like, ah, you're not the guy. Right. You know, and and Mike Zimmer, I think, had a, a pretty good tenure. It flamed out at the end, but there was there was a time where I was like, man, if anyone's ever going to deliver a Super Bowl, it's, it's this guy. Mm-hmm. So anytime there's a new coach, there's some excitement. And the other thing that always gives me a little bit of optimism is – there's parity in the NFL more than there is in any other sport. I mean, part of what's so frustrating about being a Vikings fan is how many of the franchises that I spent much of my football watching life laughing at have Super Bowl rings. You know, the Tampa Bay Bucks were when you know when I was growing up, they were the doormat. Oh yeah, they were the Lions, the Creamsicles, they were the Pittsburgh Pirates. You know, they were the L.A. Clippers. They yep. were the team that you laughed at in those yeah those terrible uniforms, and they've got two Super Bowl rings now. You know, and the New Orleans Saints, that they were more terrible in my dad's era, but, you know, I think I watched them win their first ever playoff game in the 80s. I did too. You know, I, I remember mean, that. A lot of these teams, the Falcons, I don't, you know, they haven't won one, but they've been to the Super Bowl a couple times. Uh-huh. And, you know, all these teams, you know, so. The Bengals the last Bengals, year. Yeah, the Bengals just last year. So, so no matter how down on the Vikings I might be in any given year, I always think, you know, Weird stuff happens. Yes. Players come out of nowhere. Coaches come out of nowhere. You know, the 99 Rams, when Kurt Warner was dragged off the sidelines and they thought their season was over because they had to go with him. And they had gone like 4-12 and 12 the two years before. It's yeah. not like they didn't even have like but a they had, brought, they had brought in Trent Green. He was going to be the oh, yeah. savior. Yeah. And then when he got hurt, they're like, well, shit, never mind. We're going to suck. And Kurt Warner turned out to be a Hall of Famer. You know, yeah. they just didn't know it at the time. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm always holding out hope that one of these years – it, it, it's never the years where the Vikings, I know they're going to be good. I never feel good about those years. I mean, I feel good about knowing, like, okay, I'm going to get to watch this team go to the playoffs, but they're, how are they going to choke at the end? That's always sort of how you feel in yep. those years where you know they're going to be a 12-13 win team. It's kind of like the two twins. A little, yeah, but it's the years <laughs> like this where everyone kind of says, eh, you know, a couple breaks, they could be in the playoffs. Those are the years I allow myself to, to fantasize a little bit because maybe we'll be that team yeah. that has an easier schedule or they get a bunch of breaks. Next thing you know, they're 12-4, and four, I guess it would be 12-5, and 13-4, and four, and they're in the playoffs and, you know, you get hot and, and next thing you know, you're like, wow, at, back in September nobody thought these guys were going to win the Super Bowl and here they are. This feels like 11-6 and six with a potential to be 12-5 and five, and, and here's a couple of reasons why. Uh, for one, we don't know much about O'Connell, and certainly we don't know anything about him as a head coach. And we know that not everybody who's had a cup of coffee with Sean McVay, the gold wears, you know, mm-hmm. shines on them. How, having said that, just I heard, I just had me haphazardly listening to a sports talk radio show the other day, and one of the fill-in hosts on this show was some guy who played for Kevin O'Connell on one of his stops. I think he's been to New England. 
and I think this guy was a Patriot, and he said and he, he played at New England. Maybe that was where he started his he, like as a intern or something. It, anyway, sorry. it was a guy who was played for him and said he's a genius. Now that term gets thrown out around yeah. a lot, but this is a guy who played for him uh-huh. and who doesn't probably have any reason to throw out a bouquet like right, that. Right. Um, and then. You know, offensively, some fun things to expect going a little bit more uh, micro into this is obviously it's not going to be ground and pound, uh, beat your head against the wall, Mike Zimmer. The Rams led the league last year en route to a Super Bowl in three wideout sets. So you're going to see multiple wide receivers. You're going to see a, an attempt to get to Justin Jefferson a lot more and maybe earlier in, in series and drives. You're going to see the ball go over the middle a lot more if this plays out to, again, what the Rams yeah. like to do. I was a, a little lot. worried that C.J. Ham's roster spot might be in danger That just if they needed a fullback. We'll but, see. He might, be uh. such a, he might be such a good guy. Well, I think such, ultimately yeah. he, he's one of the most popular players on that team. He is. And, you know, and he's a special teams dude, too. So You, you nailed it. I didn't think they would they would cut him, and I'm glad they didn't. But I just kind of wondered, like, you know, not everyone uses a fullback. I wonder what that's going to mean for yeah. CJ. But. And, and we can break all this down. There's questions in the secondary. They've got no secondary. I mean, it's really it's Patrick Peterson and Harry Smith and then, a bunch, of, and then yeah. a bunch of nobodies and, yeah. and not very much depth. They could get lit up a lot. But – a lot of this comes down to, uh, well, again, it could come down to Dalvin Cook and how healthy he stays. Uh, another one is your your division and your schedule. Well, you got the Bears and the Lions. You go any worse than three and one against those two, you failed. Yeah. And you should do three and one or four and zero against those two this year. They got no quarterbacks, and I don't care how great of a of a whippersnapper Dan Campbell is. The Lions, you should beat the Lions. I really enjoyed Hard Knocks this year. It almost, I haven't seen it. Almost made me a li- I, little bit of a Lions fan. I, I'm but. guessing Dan Campbell was enjoyable. He was. Okay. Uh, the the Packers, meanwhile, you do not have uh, Devontae Adams anymore. And you and I know you can you always place a little bit within the Packers every year. No matter what they have, they have Aaron Rodgers. Right. He's 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 an alien, and they're going to just you know wake up and win ten or eleven, and and win a week NFC North because the Vikings have a new coach and they're not that great. But this this is a winnable division, and the Packers are a very beatable team at least once, and that would be on Sunday. And here's where you're gonna you're gonna you and others listening right now are gonna roll your eyes for a second when I mention the name Paul Allen. Voice, <laughs> see there you go. He's a big homer. I get it. But Paul, he goes. He's very close to the team. He goes to every practice. He's close to the team, and he's something. And he has. Uh, he sometimes has very pro- profound things to say. So every week, I I have a five to ten minute conversation with PA, and it airs on KWSN at two fifty five and four fifty. You still do, huh? I do. Yes, we can talk about that afterward. <laughs> uh, but uh, and then you know, there's an extended version of it uh, at kwsn.com slash podcast. So check out. Uh, it's on my Twitter page at John Gaskins nine eight one. My little. Vikings views with Paul Allen. It's a really good four to six to eight minute. He's a good uh, compared to other play by play guys. He's a pretty good football knowledge breakdown guy. And uh, but but he just broke down. He looked he looks at the schedule and says, going back to what I said about uh, Gronowski in spring of 2021, when you have O'Connell and this new offense, there's an unpredictability factor that should give the Vikings a nice head start their first two or three games because the Packers are there for the taking, even though they're favored without Devontae Adams. Uh, and they're de- they're, they've got some defensive question marks early. There should be a good defense, but they've got a few guys out. You should win that game at home against the Packers. Then you're at Philadelphia, home against Detroit, at New Orleans, and then the Bears, the Dolphins. I mean, so Paul Allen said this team should and could, and don't be surprised if they go 5-1. and one. Those first three or four games, the unpredictability of the offense – and then, uh, boy, he's talking himself into that. If you ask he me, does but. a lot, I'm not saying he doesn't, but he makes a decent point worth thinking about that they 
that they could they should be better than three and three to, for their first six games. I'd probably take three and three. Uh, in fact, they go at Washington before they go to Buffalo on November thirteenth. Let me roll through this again. Packers at Philly. That's going to be tough because it's at Philly. That's going to be an even draw, and you know you kind of give it to the Eagles for being at home. Detroit home should be a win at New Orleans. I can't tell you. What, uh, I hear one and three right there. I, I mean, <laughs> I, well, I don't know what New, how good is New Orleans without a quarterback anymore. Yeah. Uh, Chicago at home that should be a win at Miami. That's going to be a toss up. Home against Arizona. You never know with Kyler Murray. You go to Washington. You should win that. So okay, maybe we're looking at four and three, and that's in route to nine and eight, which is about what everybody thinks they will go. And that's not very exciting. But I think these first few games will be intriguing. What were they last year, 8-9? and nine? Uh, Yeah. yeah. And I think Sunday against the Packers, obviously, if you just whittle it down to one game, that'll be a blast. It'll be right here at, uh, it'll be right here at the Gateway Lounge, and it's going to be uh, packed and awesome. So I can't wait. Anything else? I got to go pick up the kid. You do. Right yep. on cue. Kindergarten is in session. So. All right. I'm glad. Uh, where was that flat tire, by the way? How how. How far in your five it was and a half like hour drive? Forty-five home? minutes into the drive. Oh wow! Yeah, that sucks. Did you, did you crush it? Spare tire? No problem. When's the oh, last yeah. time you had a flat tire? Um, I get. I used to get them all the time. Yeah. I got one in my Ram a little while ago. At least this was the Jeep, because that's a little easier. You just put the thing underneath and jack it up. The Ram, you have to stick like one of those long poles like through the back of the truck. It, it's a nightmare. So, anyway, yeah, that was my. Man, manly thing I did for the week was change a tire on the side of the highway, and also there was like no shoulder on the side of that highway. It's the interstate. In the picture, like seventy-five miles an hour. It was not. I was like, this is how I die. Someone's texting and driving, and they don't see me, and they slam into me. There's nowhere for you to go. Yeah, yeah. You might have to use that car as your shield, but yeah, um, yeah. All right. Well, glad you're here, and congratulations. Yeah. We literally had no time to do anything else but uh, flip on the mic and do this, but that's that's fine. Why are you laughing? That was a terrible outro. Fuck you. You guys need a round of drinks? Yes. Yeah.